Hello, so good to have your company again. Welcome back to the Gallery of Curiosities. I remain, as always, your humble host, Osgood. Ah, that time has come again. The time to set the clocks back. Of course, there are no clocks to turn back here in the gallery, but uh, I always have to remind myself of this, lest I should be left wondering why my visitors are showing up on my doorstep an hour early. Daylight savings time, for those not in the know, was first implemented in Austria-Hungary in 1916. Time zones, of course, came along much earlier, as they were necessary to keep the railroad schedules without having to commit mathematical gymnastics. Now, imagine what sort of charts would be necessary if time was not only a function of longitude, but also locality. Our exhibit for this evening is from author Marcelina Vizcara. Ms. Vizcara has moved over 30 times, most recently to Tennessee, where she explores the woods and waterways with her kids, partner in crime, and their dog. Her writing has appeared, or is forthcoming, in Nature Futures, Flash Fiction Online, Time Shift, and other speculative and literary publications. It will be read for us by Mr. Wilson Fowley. Waterproof by Marcelina Vizcara Narrated by Wilson Fowley As the train pulled into Waterproof, mothers swept their children indoors, shutters slammed and locked, the sheriff pulled his wife's brother, the town drunk, across the porch of the jail and inside to safety. The painted ladies at the Calliope, who knew a little something about temptation, peeked between the curtains at the couple holding hands at the depot. Newlyweds. Of course, they were in a hurry. The steam whistle drowned the sounds of the fight at the apothecary, where Tom Beadle chased his son Junebug into the street and yanked the bindle from the boy's hands. The nearby tourists watched with relish, as if happening upon a silent film in real life, as the pair mouthed oaths at each other, one's arms flapping in frustrated flight, the other's legs kicking underwear and tooth powder out of reach. Junebug gathered his belongings and stumbled onto the train platform. Tom couldn't believe his son could be this naive, changing time climates on a whim. Nobody in Waterproof rushed anything. Even elections and executions often stalled until worthier candidates were found. Now the wheezing train needed only to catch its breath before stealing Junebug away. Work another year, Tom said. Save some more money before you leave. Then, if you still want to go, I'll match you dollar for dollar. 
Thanks, but no thanks, Pa. I'm stagnating here. Stella had said the same thing when she handed over Junebug at the depot 17 years ago. Tom blamed her for their son's wanderlust, and himself too, since the boy had been conceived during that peculiar ambition of courtship when everything resembles an escape hatch from boredom. Boredom meaning the shackles of reality. Even then, the corona drought had already lasted decades, had already made people bolt for the coasts, the north, the east, where time precipitated, dense as water. But after Junebug was born, Tom changed his mind. As Stella boarded the train, he recited the jet lag of childhood milestones, hoping she might stay. She simply faced the horizon, as though she couldn't hear him over the thunder of her thoughts. The weather will surprise you, Tom said now. The almanac predicts a monsoon in New York. Junebug's eyes gleamed. Tom instantly realized his mistake. No doubt the towered city was the boy's chosen destination. Tom's blame shifted toward the tourists, the retirees, and their Vernian tales of undersea travel and rockets to the moon like that Melier film, Le Voyage dans la Lune, shown when Tom was a boy by a newcomer with a hand-cranked camera. And hadn't Tom shown Junebug the same film when the newcomer traded it for laudanum? Hadn't he perpetuated the romance of escape? Waterproof was a prison, he might as well have said, a drying puddle where everyone makes constant concessions just to justify their optimism. Optimism meaning thirst. Down the street, boxcars opened to allow the mechanical arm to hand out water barrels, rolled away to be rationed later by the deputies. The train panted like an animal stranded in the desert. A few moments more, and it'd lurch from its place in a bid for survival. If you just stick around for a while, things will improve, Tom said, raking his tumbleweed of beard. He eyed the cartilaginous specimens hanging from the butcher's eaves, the dust-furred candy jars in his own apothecary window. We have penicillin now. Didn't have that when I was a boy. And the new dentist that turned us off tinfoil fillings. Occasionally, a tourist left behind a music player, and the townsfolk gathered around it, listening to spongy snippets until the batteries gave out. Junebug already had one foot on the car step, one hand on the grab bar. Through the windows, Tom caught the gaze of a tattooed woman drinking out of a plastic canteen, a man that looked as if he'd fallen face first into a notions box. He couldn't compete with such inducements. Tom slipped his father's watch into Junebug's hand. Don't worry, Pa, Junebug said, swinging up and into the vestibule. I know what I'm doing. Hey, pal, where can I get a drink around here? A tourist asked, cuffing at Tom's shoulder. Newcomers stumbled into the calliope. The saloon's furniture was strewn, topsy-turvy, as though arranged by flood. Well, hello, hello, all you tin-toothed cowards. Still desiccating in your hundred-year-old drawers, I see, a polyester cowboy said. I'm here to fetch my hat. He slapped the counter with the impatience typical of tourists. Sarsaparilla, he said. Haven't had one since I was a boy. The day I forgot this, in fact. The stranger snatched the child-sized hat from the lost-and-found box and balanced it atop his head. I found it this morning when I was sweeping, the bartender said. No kidding. Then you might as well throw out all this other junk, he said, 
pawing through the cravat pins and skeleton keys. The owners are probably daisy fertilizer by now. The newcomer turned his sunburned face to Tom. You look familiar. I run the apothecary. That's it? You sold me a quart of lemon drops when I was a boy. Or should I say, yesterday. He threw air quotes over his head, which Tom thought made him appear just as juvenile as the last time he'd seen him. That junk made my face pucker to the size of my fist. Still, fresher than anything in the train's dining car, so kudos on that. Ever been? Tom ignored him. I asked if you've ever ridden the train. He snapped his fingers in front of Tom's face. Oh, of course not. I forgot. You're the same age as me. If you ever left, you'd be dead before you got back. He let go a laugh that ended in a dry cough. Sorry to hear about Junebug leaving, the bartender said, handing Tom another bottle of bourbon. He was a good boy. The stranger tisked into his mug. You let your son leave town without you? The newcomer made a show of looking at his wristwatch, a piece that estimated time for six major cities. Your grandchildren are probably graduating from college about now. What a pity you rubes are so afraid of the weather. Tom started to protest, but some fool started hammering on the steam organ. The newcomer had already drifted into another conversation. Tom paid the bartender and slouched outside into the static of dusk. Passing the jail, he heard the sheriff and his brother-in-law laughing over a game of cards. He saw the tracks swerving east into darkness, could just make out the husks of dwellings abandoned when the lightning veered too close. One morning, the sheriff had found Jameson's boy out there, skin sucked into the bone cavities, eyes as black as anthracite. Here tell, the room had melted around him into a vitreous puddle. In the apartment above the apothecary, Tom stumbled around the chairs and their ghostly doubles as he packed his clothes, his razor, the single postcard Stella sent from New Orleans, a naked woman wearing a mask on the front, indecipherable blotches on the back. When Stella's body returned, draped with a sheet, Tom refused to look underneath. She'd arrived only two days after she left. While Tom concocted infant formula at the apothecary counter, she'd cavorted in parades, he imagined, riding in the oared rocket from the Melier film. What had he missed by staying in this godforsaken town, this island of desert? He pictured a lifeboat slipping past, full of doppelgangers lofting trophies and money bags, rocking women on their laps. His father had ridden out one clear morning and returned hours later, withered, repentant. He made Tom promise to work the apothecary, to keep his life as small and still as the dioramas Jameson sold to the tourists. Before Tom locked his shop, he pocketed a daguerreotype of Junebug swinging on a cardboard moon. He'd deliver the photograph, that was all, because the boy had forgotten it in his haste. As Tom waited on the platform, the newcomer strolled over, tipped his undersized hat at Tom. Proving me wrong, are you? he asked. Tom raised his chin. Tom suspected it had hurt to accelerate his body distorting like rubber or splitting like the mercury beads he'd chased with his pestle. Either one would be worth it if he could locate Junebug, a task, Tom reckoned, that would approximate jumping into a cyclone. The express sped into waterproof. Somebody got off the forward car. Tom boarded with the newcomer. 
The refrigerated air felt clammy against his skin. The gas of hygiene chemicals made his eyes water. He tried to ignore the women wearing men's undershirts. Once seated, he noticed his reflection in the window. He looked old, tired. He was both. He didn't recall shaving this morning, though maybe he was too drunk to remember. He lifted his hand to his beard. No, he hadn't shaved. From the other side of the glass, the reflection motioned to him, stepped forward. As Tom watched, the reflection dangled his father's watch at the end of a broken fob, then abruptly slid sideways as the train jerked forward. Tom called to Junebug to wait and shoved past the newcomer, still battling his valise in the aisle. The train was out of town before Tom reached the vestibule. He gripped the bar and shut his eyes. Even through his eyelids he could see the lightning, snapping like ropes against the horizon. Our narrator, Wilson Fowley, has been reading stories out loud since the age of four and credits his parents for any talent he has for it. He has been narrating for podcasts since he answered a call for readers for Podcastle in 2008. Mr. Fowley fits narrating between his day job as a web developer in Vancouver, Canada and directing a community show chorus called The Maple Leaf Singers. You know, I used to have a little, let's call him, friend, who was rather fond of clocks. He had quite the collection. Spring forward did not cause much of a fuss, but fall backwards in autumn. <laughs> oh, how he hated that. You see, many of the older clocks cannot be turned backwards without damaging them, so to turn a clock an hour backwards, he would have to wind it forward an entire day. And if it was a calendar clock, oh, what fun that was. He would be in a mood for days. How much I could get done while he was distracted so. Ah, those were the days. Speaking of time, I think it's high time to get the exhibits for November in order. Something in honor of the armistice, I should think. It's been a century, an entire century. A century since we became modern. And I'm still not fully acclimated. I'll get to that and you'll be on your way. Do come visit us next time at the Gallery of Curiosities. Gallery of Curiosities is produced under a Creative Commons International 4.0 non-commercial attribution no derivatives license. 
Our theme song is by string punk band Deus Ex Vaporamachina. This episode was produced in November of 2018. For full show notes, visit us at the web at gallerycurious.com. What's... what's this? Oh dear. Someone forgot their wristwatch. Kevin, do be a lamb. Come turn this watch back an hour. I, I don't dare touch it myself. Not even with gloved hand. Then find a mailer and send it somewhere. I, I don't care where. Just get it out of here. No return address now, and don't you dare break it. Oh, how he would love that.